check fraud right now is is rampant. You know, with all the shiny things out there like real-time payments and Venmo or whatever, bad guys are like, hey, look, no one's looking at checks. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. In this episode, I spoke with Brad Smith, Senior Director of Industry Engagement and Advocacy for NACHA to learn more about ACH and the benefits of this payment method for higher education. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. I'm excited too, really. I appreciate uh, being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're here to talk about what's new with ACH payments, but before we do that, can you provide just an overview of your background and role at NACHA? Of course, sure. Uh, I've been in payments for 25 years, wow. which I don't often like to admit, but I have. Um, I've worked in bank operations, uh, ACH training and education at a regional payment association. I did digital and payment strategy at a big bank. And now I've been at NACHA for about five years. Okay. And I work with different industries like higher education, colleges, universities, uh, and explaining to them the benefits of using uh, ACH or more ACH for uh, their different payments. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you definitely have the background to be a good educator. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of education, let's go back to the basics. Let's start with what is ACH and how does it work? Uh, ACH, you know, I, I get, I've been doing this with, like I said, 25 years and my family still asks me like, what is it that you really do? Right. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, if you didn't know nothing about ACH and we're on an elevator and I, and I had, you know, 30 seconds to, to tell you, right. So you get paid by direct deposit, uh, you know what the ACH network is, right? That's an ACH payment. If right. you pay a bill online using your bank account number, um, that's ACH. If you get your tax refund by the federal government or the state government, um, that's probably ACH as well. Uh, if your mortgage, student loan, a car payment, all that stuff comes directly out of your account, that's most likely ACH too. Okay, and for merchants, it's a much more cost-effective payment method, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. It's it's the, the fees that you're charged with other payment types are usually significantly higher. Um, ACH tends to be a low cost, uh, reliable, secure payment method. Right. That's why so many people want to use it and want to know how to use that, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All those exactly. examples that you just gave. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, you know, where the lay of the land is when it comes to ACH. And again, you obviously you just talked about several examples of, of where it's, you know, commonly used, but if you want to think a little bit about the growth and, and how are we seeing ACH to continue to evolve? Yeah, it's it's a rapidly growing uh, modern payments network. Okay. Um, we are going to celebrate our 50th year. Wow. Um, next year, so it's it's not new, but it's been able to uh, remain relevant and remain modern. Um, you know, often we read payments articles that reference the ACH network network as being a legacy payments network. Mm -hmm. it, it really isn't. Um, you know, it's, you know, the last five or 10 years, you know, we've had all these cool payments like Venmo and Square Cash and, and right. all that kind of stuff, right? You know, the payments are still only made like in an app like that by card 
ACH or real-time payment. So right. all the shiny, cool things that are out there, it can only be an ACH a, a card or maybe real-time payment now. So um, the ACH network isn't going away. Uh, in 2022, there were 30 billion transactions. Wow. There were $76.7 trillion that went through the network in 2022. Uh, one of the newer uh, additions. I guess it's really not new anymore. I guess it's like five or six or years old by right. this point. But same day ACH had saw a 44% growth in business to business payments in 2022. And then first quarter of this year, uh, first quarter this year versus first quarter last year, we saw a 94% growth just in same day ACH. Wow. So, I would say a lot of that, would you say maybe again, just people's brains shifted during the pandemic and how do I get funds delivered in a different way or faster way, obviously same day. We all want everything same day. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we want our Amazon stuff same day. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, the pandemic made a lot of businesses realize that they can survive without checks. Okay. There's still billions of checks that are being written, but when people had to stay in their homes right, uh, or work from home, I should say, um, they they realize that there are other ways to make a payment. I mean, they do it at home. Sure. Right? You pay an electric bill and you go online and do that. Why can't we do that as a business? Um, and if you want to pay it fast, use same day. So we've seen a, a huge growth in just business to business payments over the last uh, three years, give or take. That makes a lot of sense. And even I think about the consumer side that it's interesting that you say it used to be you had to have your check and you had to give a little visual and say, these numbers are your routing numbers and these numbers are your account number. But now with online banking, I can just show and it says, I could click the button in my bank at least, and it shows me my ACH and routing or my routing yes. for ACH. Absolutely. It is much easier, right? You don't need to depend on your checkbook. Um, right. You know, I think the younger generation still has bank accounts. Sure. But I don't know if they can find their checkbook. <laughs> right. Right. But they go to the mobile app. And again, that's where I discovered right. it. You and go to your mobile and you say, show me the account information. Boom. Right. And our phone's always with us. Right. So Absolutely. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. So and speaking of younger people and students then, mm -hmm. um, how about in higher education and how are you seeing, you know, ACH being, you know, widely used uh, with college and universities? You're obviously doing some education there. Sure. Uh, well, we just finished some research. Okay. So we have a little bit of, of, of good data for that. Um, but the short answer is the universities are using it for uh, staff payroll, mm, right. uh, business to business payments. So either um, receiving payments from vendors, right, or paying okay. their vendors. Uh, and of course, uh, there's an opportunity for uh, tuition. So I think that they're using it. I think some of the smaller payments, they're not using ACH, but it's being used, especially for payroll. Right. Um, and the other types. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, if you think about, um, if you know, for college universities, you know, how they're using ACH and um, more on your research findings in terms of like, obviously, payroll, but when you think about tuition or more of those big ticket dollars, is that kind of where you're seeing majority of folks using it? Um, yeah. So there are tuition definitely like you know that's one of the biggest payments that any family is going to make in a year right um so i think they want to make sure that um it's a secure method and low cost to the school so i, I think that's one um but you know there's there's still an opportunity um to get rid of checks sure but um 
yeah, I think I think ACH is still used for some of those larger payments as opposed to the smaller payments. Absolutely. Well, you and I are both in the industry. So, of course, we hear the word ACH and we know what that means. And you're probably like me sometimes and ask, do you take that via ACH? Can I have a direct deposit? And some people are going, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> so there's definitely an education component to it. Um, how are you seeing higher education institutions educating their students about using ACH for payment methods? Are they communicating the benefits or is it more just educating, here's how you find your number? <laughs> Yeah, the the schools really aren't haven't really done that. Okay. Um, you know, but that's where we come in, right, to help them with with the education. I think most of the students are probably using um, cards and Venmo and whatnot for like their smaller on campus payments. Right. Right. So if they're at Shake Shack on campus, right, if they're not using their dining dollars, or if they're at the um, bookstore, right. Those kind of easy payments, uh, I think, are not really um, built for ACH, so to speak. Sure. Um, but so I don't. So there's not much education on that. I think, um, you know, we are going to come up with a suite of tools to help uh, higher education. Oh, good. Educate uh, the students and the parents. Right. Um, and we'll probably come out with that sometime early next year. Okay. Um, but something to do the education for us, and then messaging that they can give to the parents and the students and their vendors as to why ACH is a good option. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the the key that you just hit on too is from the security standpoint. So thinking about students specifically, um, you know, what are, what are the behaviors of the younger generation using ACH? What are they thinking about it? Yeah, like our research didn't necessarily breach that specifically or go after that. Um, but we did research about a year ago Mm -hmm. uh, focusing specifically on that 22 to 34 age group, which really gets like college juniors and seniors, right? Right. Um, and 97% of those workers have a bank account and 88% of those that got a W-2 use direct deposit. So I think that's much different, which is encouraging for ACH, but I think it's much different than what we expected. Right. Because you've right. always heard you read the same articles that I do. Right. They're like, oh, younger kids don't like bank accounts and stuff like that. Right. But, you know what? But so they're using, you know, SoFi and like other things like that, which really aren't banks necessarily. I mean, they are banks, but sure. not in the traditional way that you and I think of of the big banks. Exactly. Um, so, you know, they they still find the value in, in ACH, especially direct deposit. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> right. And and like you said, a lot of those kind of convenient person-to-person uh, -person payment options, you have to, at the end of the day, it's connected to a bank account. So whether you realize you have a bank account or not, when you're yes. doing Venmo or something, you actually, it's tying into your bank account on the back end. Right. When you cash that out, when you transfer to bank, it's an ACH. That's an ACH. <laughs> same thing with Zelle, like the whole, all of those. Right. Um, right. Some of them, like Zelle uses real-time payments for some of that as well. So mm -hmm. that's that's fine. But yeah, like like I said, it's card, ACH, real-time payments really happening when you're using the app. So whether they know it or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe it's just a time for a rebrand for ACH. <laughs> oh, we talk, we talk a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> How to make it sexier. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about kind of Notch's role and really defining how merchants use ACH. So talk a little sure. bit about that. Um, yeah. So we have a uh, robust set of rules 
um, that lay out the foundation for that. Okay. But these merchants, which are ACH originators in ACH language, have to enter into an origination agreement with a bank or a credit union or a third-party processor like like you guys. Uh-huh. So, so the rules are the foundation for every one of those payments, uh, and they define the roles and the responsibilities for financial institutions uh, and establish clear guidelines for each of the network participants. So an ACH originator uh, is one of those participants in a merchant. So um, if, if, if folks listening to this want to see some of the rules, um, they are laid out on, 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 uh, on one of our web pages. It's okay. www.nacha.org, then forward slash rules, forward slash new. Excellent. So they can see the new ones. But if they want to see all of them, they can um, purchase online access to the rule, okay. to the rules if they'd like to. And you can find that uh, on our website as well. Makes sense. And you have to have rules because anytime there's a payment method, there's always bad guys. Exactly. <laughs> yes. There's no doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. So speaking of those bad guys, so what fraud or risk attempts have you seen the most when it comes to ACH? Yeah, I, I don't think ACH is a whole lot different than other payment types. Okay. I think what we're seeing uh, is like the trend now is like the vendor impersonation. Right. Um, where, you know, as an example, you work in an accounts payable department at a school and I call you up pretending to be from Acme Paper. Right. right. And I'm like, hi, this is Brad from Acme Paper. We need to change the account number that you pay us to. Yes. Because you the school buys a ton of paper. And then, you know, you're like, okay, Brad, let's change that. And then the next time you pay them, it goes to my account, not to the Acme paper account. Right. Now we have a problem. So there needs to be uh, the schools and everyone that would any business needs to have some sort of database or whatever that has a list of, you know, only the people, two people, one person that can change the account number. Okay. You know, did they email you using a known email address? Did they call you using a known phone number? So, you know, I, I think that's one of the the, the more recent uh, fraud things that we've seen. Okay. Anything that has any social engineering aspect to it, clicking a link in an email or a text, whatever, you have to really be diligent and be smart about who you're talking to and what you're clicking. You know, you really do. We've all been trained, I guess those of us in the business, and we were just talking actually on the on the way here today to some folks on my team, and we were just talking about getting our reimbursement for, you know, an expense. And it's like, I don't know. We're all hesitant now. Is that a real, are they really telling me I'm getting a <laughs> refund back or getting my <laughs> expense right. back or yeah. I'm not going to open anything anymore? No, I know. No, it is a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So let's let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, how Nacha really helps merchants address that risk and fraud component. Yeah, that's always front of mind for us. I like having okay. the, the strict rules, uh, but then also having a risk framework. So we have two sections of the rules, the ACH rules. There's a, the rules themselves, which is all like legalese and okay. written like you would expect, like anything formal and legal like that. Then the second part of the book is the operating guidelines. Okay. And that's more of a, more of a narrative in, in like in English as to how to <laughs> apply those rules. Uh, so these have always had a risk lens to them. Okay. Because if you, if you can't depend on the network, no one's going to use the network. Right. Right. So if it's fraught with fraud, if that's the way to say it, <laughs> yes. no one's going to want to use it. So the 
we actually came out with a new risk framework, an updated risk framework last okay. September uh, to give guidance to financial institutions and merchants. Um, and that can be found on our website as well. Okay. Um, we have the uh, new rule for ACH validation. Okay. Right. So if you're doing a web transaction, you're paying a bill online, uh, instead of keying in your routing number and account number, now you use a service or the business you're paying is going to use a service like Plaid or Guy Act, where you log into your uh, bank account, right? Log into your online banking. Okay. And this way, the account number isn't isn't exchanged. No one is sure. misking the routing number and account number. So it makes for a much uh, more secure, dependable transaction uh, for both the consumer. Right. And, and for, for the business. Yeah. I know a lot of our schools, ACH validation has been so instrumental because you're absolutely right. Like anybody, a student though, especially when they go to type in the, the routing account number, invariably there was always a, a number that was transposed or it wasn't quite right. And they, you know, get, get it back and realize it was really just a wrong account number. So the validation has really helped. Sure, sure, sure. And, and one more thing, we also have uh, a newer, <laughs> It's about two years old now, the supplemental data security requirement. Okay. So at this point, uh, it had two phases and we're past those two phases now. But at, as of like right now, if you as a school originate $2 million or more in ACH payments, then you need to make sure that uh, anytime that ACH data is at rest, okay, that the account information is unreadable, deleted, masked, et cetera. Okay. How you go about that doesn't matter to us. Okay. You know, let your IT people <laughs> figure out that part, but anytime the data is at rest, and this goes for you as a school, if you're storing that account information on your you know, local school servers, uh, if you are a third-party payment processor, anytime the data is at rest, the, the, same, the same requirement is there. And it makes a lot of sense. Like we said, kind of circling back to any time there's a payment, there is always a risk for bad guys coming in, being able to grab that information. So being able to make sure that you don't just have account numbers out there readily available for bad guys to get in is is so essential. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So thinking about those, uh, the new validation rules, are, are we seeing then fewer invalid transactions? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we've completely eliminated the possibility Right. of mistyping any of those numbers. And, you know, sometimes those are 16 digit account numbers. So right. like you said, it's pretty easy to mess that up. So sure. using services like Plaid uh, and the others are, are really helping uh, clean up those erroneous transactions. No, that makes a lot of sense on there. So, so let's talk about, you know, again, uh, we all want to stay compliant and there's always new rules. And so how can merchants really keep up with and stay compliant with all the NACHA requirements, especially when there's new ones that come about? Sure. I, you know, I think that your uh, bank or credit union that, that uh, you originate through would help you a good deal with that. I think if you use a vendor like like TouchNet, I think they play an, also play an important role okay. uh, in helping these schools, you know, accept ACH transactions like in a secure way. Um, and and uh, minimizing risk for you, for the school and the customers um, and staying compliant with the NACHA. That's great. So kind of thinking about anything else, is there anything else you'd recommend as really best practices for preventing fraud? 
Uh, be diligent. Uh, be aware of the latest fraud trends. Um, I think, you know, the a lot of this can be managed with the universities or colleges' relationship with their bank or okay. their processor. But if they want like more up-to-date training, there are, I believe the number is eight regional payment associations out there okay. that, um, that you can become a member of as a school and they have in-person or online training about all the latest rules. They have you know risk courses and audit courses and, and all kinds of thing and, and things. And um, they're a, a tremendous resource and are, um, are built for doing that education and training. I worked for one for 16 years, okay. so I know, <laughs> I know who they are and what they do. That's great. Well, and, you know, everybody thinks it's just so easy. You just take a payment. That should be easy. And you're talking about all this training to make sure you're taking the one payment method the correct way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. So any final advice that you have for higher ed to really maximize the benefits of offering ACH as a payment method? Yeah, I think... You know, looking to reduce costs and, and create better efficiencies. Right. Uh, what we found in that research is like the best opportunity for those schools uh, is with your vendor B2B payments. Um, okay. Whether you're paying them or receiving them, um, they're still very check heavy. Uh, check fraud right now is is rampant. You know, with all the shiny things out there like real-time payments and Venmo or whatever. Right. Bad guys are like, hey, look, no one's looking at checks. That's a good point. Let's go, let's go do fraud, you know, on checks. The, the, the bad guys are looking for the path of least resistance. Okay. And right now that's checks. And like, and they're going back to the old school. Remember um um the Frank Abagnale. Oh yes. Uh, remember him? Catch me if you can. Washing. Catch me if you can. <laughs> yeah. You. Um they're doing the old check washing. Really? Right. So they're stealing checks or stealing mail with that are being because checks are being mailed sure um and they're check washing and and doing that sort of thing so really reducing the number of checks that you receive or or um or or pay yourself right you have to look at the total costs sure of that right because ach is a lower pay is a lower cost um but i than other payment types but right. if you look at checks buying check stock um oh yeah storing checks securely check reconciliation, reissuing lost checks, stolen checks, depositing the checks. Are you bringing them to the bank? Right. right? Are you paying to convert them in the back office, which is a fee postage? Like all those things, you have to look at the complete cost of checks. Oh, it's a big cost. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot. Um, and then compare that to what it takes for you to have the relationship with your bank or credit union right. or using a processor like, like you guys. So um, look at the big picture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, and especially, like you said, everything's really migrating to digital. And a part of that is not just for the ease and convenience, but it's also from the security standpoint. Like you said, a little thin piece of paper check and right. how you can just easily go open a mailbox. Or again, the bad guys know the, right. the pattern and to be able to, to take that and uh, really kind of replicate history when it comes to fraud. That's amazing to me. <laughs> it is. It is. They're going to where the people aren't looking. So uh, now we're looking, so we'll see. That is really good. Well, yeah. Brad, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this topic. You know, at TouchNet, security compliance is one of our core focuses and ACH is always a big part of that. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate this and I appreciate being invited. And um, 
if you guys have questions, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, glad to answer questions and connect. That sounds great. Thanks so much, Brad. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.